Answer just help. Just say pass. Love Talk Radio. Here we go. Let's get love in a better place. Pick up a bird, travel through time and space. So much to learn, so much to see. A chance to escape reality. Open your mind and your heart. Gain new knowledge for a fresh new start. Day Network will bring you there. So let's talk about it when life and on the air. Morning, everyone. This is Fran Lewis. This is MJ Network. MJ, in memory of my sister, Marcia Joyce, and this is going to be cool because anyone like me that loves diamonds. Well, Di- Murder is not a girl's best friend, but we'll find out more about Diamond. Mm-hmm. And the author, Rob Bass, is here. Good morning and welcome to MJ Network. Oh, good morning to you, Fran. How are you? Hanging in there. We're getting there. So We're all hanging in, right? Yeah. That's all you can do. Yeah, we're we have no other way to do it. Yep. So we have a short yep. summary. And tell us about I Love Mimi. She's a real rip. And Max and Yosef and Hannah. How did you create those characters? So that I keep wanting to read more. Um, well, thank you, first of all. Um, so I've been writing about the diamond business for like nearly 30 years. And uh, it's a really interesting business. It gives you kind of interesting insights into uh, different worlds, into uh, the world of Orthodox Judaism or Indian culture. You travel all over the world. There's, you know, it's, part of it's in Russia, part of it's in Canada, excuse me, part of it's in Africa. So it's it's a it's a very dispersed international industry. You talk to a lot of different cultures, a lot of different kinds of people, um, which is good, you know, because you break out of your bubble in a way. You understand the world a little bit better. And um, I would say, uh, so, I mean, this book is meant to reflect this, um, and it's also meant to kind of give people a sense of some of the political uh, debates mm-hmm. and the ethical debates going on in the industry. Um, I'm sure most people have heard of Blood Diamonds just because there was a movie about it, um, but it's a very complex subject. And uh, the idea of, you know, once, even once Blood Diamonds has been eradicated, how you use the country's resources to the best of its ability help its citizens, that's kind of what this book wants to explore and to look at some of the um, ideas that have popped up to, to do that. Um, so, yeah, uh, I'm sorry, that was kind of a long-winded way of answering your question, which was, how did I create these characters? And uh, I would say the character of Mimi, who's the protagonist, um, an editor told me to make the hero female, which, you know, at first felt made me feel a little weird and uncomfortable because I am not female, but um, mm-hmm. it's been uh, interesting, and I think it kind of gave the book, uh, since the diamond industry has traditionally at least been very male-dominated, it kind of uh, added an extra element to the book, which is the woman, you know, a woman trying to make it in a, uh, what is still, I would say, mostly a male-dominated industry. Um, so that kind of added a little bit. And, you know, I had... 
uh, you know, it's interesting. The characters are named after Mimi is named after my late mother. Mm-hmm. Max is late, named after my late grandfather, who was also a diamond dealer. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we, we uh, you know, the characters just kind of came about uh, based upon, you know, a lot of, some of them are anagrams of, of different people in the industry. But basically, the idea was to kind of give a realistic um, impression of the industry, show that it's just another industry, just like every any other. You know, it definitely has its own very peculiar way of doing things. It has a lot of characters. It has a lot of big personalities, and I wanted the book to reflect that. But you know, show that it's basically just a, a regular industry with. You know, regular people, and even though that they, they might be from different cultures uh, that have people perhaps, uh, you know, are not that familiar with, like Orthodox Judaism or, you know, uh, Indian, the, the Jain community, even though that's not in this particular book, or, you know, uh, certain parts of Africa, that, you know, to kind of recognize the common humanity in all of us and to talk about, you know, just, uh, you know, give people an insight into how it works and how it is. So, you know, there's been a lot of movies about this industry. A lot of them are very uh, sensationalized. I mean, this is sensationalized, too, obviously, because it's a, it's a novel. But, you know, I haven't actually seen Uncut Gems, but you, you you look, from what I understand, it makes everybody look horrible and, you know, dropping F-bombs all the time and stuff like that. And it's not, that's not my experience of, of the industry. Um, so uh, it was just my attempt to kind of, shed light on this kind of this world that's very mysterious to people, you know, uh, because mm-hmm. of the security issues, right, because, you know, you're dealing with such a high-value product and uh, people in the industry are so often robbed and stuff like that, you know, it often gets the reputation of being very secretive, right? Um, and that's just, I mean, I, sh- I should say, you know, I don't consider it secretive, but I've been around a long time, so it's hard for me to judge. I think the most outside oh, consider pretty secretive. Yeah, I know sorry. that going to get a diamond or an engagement ring or something, you better know your background. You better know what's real and what's not. You have to be able to really have somebody there that can tell you. That I know. Yeah. And yeah, or, or I you mean, have to have somebody that you know you hundred percent trust. Um, yeah. Right away, and that's something I think a lot of people find intimidating about the industry, and that you know kind of uh, leave them uh, open to, to uh, manipulation that people, you, you know, there's people you have to trust uh, 100% mm. uh, in the business because, you know, you're going largely blind. And there's certain, you know, technology has given us certain uh, ways to distinguish, uh, you know, lab diamonds from natural diamonds, um, you know, and diamonds from, you know, which are real fakes, which are like CZ mm-hmm. and moissanite. And, you know, a good jeweler can tell a CZ, a cubic zirconia, just by sight. So there's a lot of, uh, there's a, you know, you really have to trust a person. And one of the things that's interesting on 47th Street is that you mm-hmm. have to trust the person you're dealing with because, again, you're dealing with huge value yeah. items. So it's one of the few industries where business is still – uh, done on a handshake, and a handshake in the diamond industry is actually legally binding. So you have mm. to um, 
accept that. So, you know, and that's kind of a plot point in the book. Um, so that's, uh, you know, there's just a lot of things that, that make it unique and its own insular culture. I mean, I've been, again, you know, it's something that you don't necessarily plan to go into, at least from the outside. But, you know, mm-hmm. I've been doing it 30 years, you know, I'm 55 now. So there's people I know since I was 25 years old. I mean, and that's nice, you know, in a way, you know, because they're, most of them are, are at heart decent people and you, you know, you kind of grow up with them in a way. So mm-hmm. uh, in that case, it's, it's a community and it's a, it's a group and uh, it, that part I enjoy. Well, she went to a convention, right? What was the purpose yes. and why was she there? And tell us about the diamond. Oh, yeah. So oh, cool. So, well, what's it called? The diamond. Uh, you know, it, it's funny. You write a book, and now I'm in the middle of my third book, and you kind of forget everything in the second one. So, when I was looking mm-hmm. at your questions, it kind of like, oh, yeah, I remember. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, uh, yes, at the book start. Um, so, one of the things that people are talking about a lot in the industry is social responsibility and, you know, especially the diamond industry, which has, uh, you know, a pretty checkered record. Uh, and I would say uh, mostly in the past, but, you know, there's still issues in the present. And there, there probably, there's always going to be an inherent tension when you have um, <clears throat> rich companies, big companies dealing with a rich, valuable resource especially in poor countries. There's always going to be that kind of inherent tension there. So, um, the, uh, you know, and there's been incidents of violence and stuff like that. So, uh, in, the, in the opening of the, of the book, she goes to a socially responsible, social responsibility conference. And, uh, again, you know, people may not even realize these things exist, but I go to these things all the time. I mean, there's tons of conferences and, and things like this. And a lot of times what's interesting, and this is kind of, you, you see this play out in the story, is the interesting part is not necessarily the conference or the presentations, which a lot of times you kind of know what the people are going to say. A lot of times the interesting part is the background and the connections because it is a very personal industry. So in this case, she goes. Excuse me. She goes to a conference, and she sees a plan to build to uh, introduce what is a quote-unquote socially responsible diamond, uh, which is this big diamond that was found in this kind of uh, imaginary African country, uh, which is you know has a similar history to, to some of the real African countries, and uh, basically you know, find a way to uh, take this very big diamond and use it um, uh, on behalf of the people, you know, use it mm. to, uh, you know, uh, help support the local population. And, you know, that's not, that's sometimes easier said than done. And I should mention that in a lot of cases, diamonds have, have played a beneficial role in African countries, you know, uh, there's certainly been times that, that they haven't. Um, that's not over. Uh, but, you know, in general, I would say they have. If, if you look at, for example, uh, Botswana, um, I mean, that's kind of the, the poster child, I would say, uh, for, you know, that's, the di- that's, that's probably the biggest diamond producer in the world. And, 
you know, everybody gets free health care if you don't have the United States, and everybody gets free education, and there's a lot more roads. So it's definitely been helpful there. Uh, but, you know, some of the other poorer countries where mining is perhaps less controlled or, the, or there's issues of government corruption, uh, the, 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 the benefits have not trickled down to the people, and on certain occasions they've actually been harmful to the people. So it's still a mixed uh, picture. Uh, I wish it wasn't, but it is. Uh, but I just I want to say it's not a completely bad picture, and it's, and it's mm. not a completely good picture. You know, people will try to broad paint it with a broad brush on on both sides, saying, "Oh, it's all terrible, and it's all this," and it it, it you know it's neither. It, it's, it's both. You know, people a lot of people have jobs, and even you know even you know there's uh, we 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 talk a little bit about this at the beginning of the book. You know, there's people who who and it, it, it's kind of famous that they dig for diamonds and their 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 wages are very low, two dollars a day, and it's, it's very tough. But you know, one of the things that you know I hear often, and this isn't from the industry, this is from you know NGOs and people on the ground, is you know th- that is their livelihood and that is their sole means of support. So if you take that away, you're going to be in big trouble because it's not like oh you know I can get. A uh, job working at like Starbucks, you know, there's, there's nothing over there. Mm. So um, this is kind of the, you know, this is that is their only means of support. You know, you're dealing with with desperately poor countries. So uh, the idea is not to necessarily wipe out that part of the industry, but to find ways to kind of uh, bring it up and to you know improve working conditions and improve salaries and kind of use uh, that kind of hard manual labor uh, to kind of, as a springboard for development. And, uh, you know, then that, that's, you know, and I guess another popular myth is that all diamonds are produced that way, and that's certainly not true. I mean, you have big industrial mines where the, where the people are unionized, and it's not about, you know, just digging in the ground. It's, it's you know, working in, uh, in mines and stuff like that. So, I mean, you know, the, you know, again, I would say it's a mixed picture. It's not a perfect picture, but it's you know, it's uh, there's, there's certain good signs, and I think you know maybe it will always be missed. You know, I can't think of any uh, industry where it's perfect. I mean, certainly not. You know, tech and Facebook and all these things. You know, you look at some of their factories; it's not so great. So um, mm-hmm. the issue is, how do we kind of improve what we have without threatening the livelihoods of these people who are, you know, you know, there's, there's a some of these people are extremely poor. I mean, if you think of like, you know, working for a cup of rice a day, I mean, that's a, that's subsistence wages, you know? So how do we kind of improve their lot and how do we use what comes out of the ground uh, in a way that helps everybody? And it's, and it's a very complicated question because there's established systems and you don't necessarily want to start messing with those established systems because then you risk, you know, creating social unrest. Um, and you want to, you don't necessarily want people to be digging uh, for the rest of their lives because that's not a great life, and you want them to use that, again, as a springboard into something else. So there's, you know, and also, you know, these people are are not, you know, they're not dummies, right? You know, they do it because it is a rational economic choice and because that's how they make the most money, and I think that's, you know, you can't just play God and say, well, we don't want you to 
to work in this thing, you know, uh, you know, we want, you know, you have to kind of respect people's uh, ability to make their own choices as, as far as their future. So uh, it's, it's a really difficult and, and complicated uh, question. I mean, there's kind of a, um, uh, an old, um, I wouldn't say, but it, it, it's very well known, at least among like the NGO community, which is that you, um, there was instances, remember in the 90s, there was a big thing about sweatshops, which was, you know, on the surface, it was great because, you know, sweatshops are, are awful, right? There's no, nothing, you know, it's terrible. But the, the point is, if you shut sweatshops, you just say, okay, these sweatshops are terrible, we're going to close them down, then there's a the danger of people finding alternative work. And a lot of times that alternative work is things like prostitution. So you don't, you know, which is arguably worse than, especially if you're dealing with young children and things like that. So the idea is you don't want to, um, uh, you know, foreclose these people's uh, livelihood, but you want to find ways to see what can we do to improve this, what can we do to make this better, and what can we do to make sure that all minerals um, are, you know, benefiting the country that they came from, and also, I mean, another issue is that these people are often subject to violence and stuff like that, and you don't, you definitely, that's not acceptable. Mm-hmm. You want to make sure that these people are protected. So those are some of the issues that are, are talked about in the book. But it is, let me just say, it is a mystery novel. It, it deals with these things, but it tries to do it in an entertaining way and be fun. So, um, you know, it's not a... a, a uh, development textbook. It's a kind of whimsical mystery that kind of deals with a lot of the issues that the industry has been dealing with. So, you know, uh, I hope people will really come away um, not, I, you know, kind of learning a little bit about the issues involved and maybe thinking about them, uh, but, you know, also extremely entertained because if they're not entertained, they're not going to uh, – buy the book or uh, turn the pages. Well, let's talk about briefly the the, the convention. <coughs> we meet Brandon, Abraham Boswerberg, I love that man, and Reverend Kamara, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. and Morris Novak. We meet four people that are involved. So yes. what roles, briefly, what are they role before we get to the Queen, Mimi, and how poor Mimi got stuck doing this? I love Mimi. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, so you want me to talk? I mean, you know, you know, some of those people are composites uh, of okay. people in the industry. Um, there was, I don't want to say who they were, but, uh, you know. Okay. Some of them are composites. Some of them are not composites. Some of them are just inventions. So I don't want to uh, be, you know, uh, none of them are, uh, you know, they're all fictional, obviously. But, you know, there are certain incidents that were similar to things that happened in real life. For example, there was something called uh, the Peace Diamond, uh, which obviously had nothing to do with, with you know, the diamond in the book, but um, it, uh, it kind of was formed under similar, found under similar circumstances. People found it in the ground, and they tried to auction it off uh, to benefit, uh, in, that, in that case, it was Sierra Leone, um, which was kind of the, the you know, if Botswana is a positive 
poster child for the industry. Sierra Leone is kind of the negative uh, poster child. So um, in that case, they tried to uh, auction off to to benefit people, and um, there was a there was a that actually did a lot of good. Uh, in this case, it doesn't. Um, so we have a bunch of characters that are involved with this. We have uh, Abraham Bosberg, who's the person who kind of came up with this idea, who's kind of promoting it, who's kind of very passionate about it. Um, we have Brandon, who's this human rights activist, who's kind of a, a critic of some of the things that uh, Bosberg has done in the past. Um, we have uh, Morris Novak, who is kind of this uh, very shady, uh, prominent uh, diamond dealer, um, and uh, who else do we have? Who, who else? I forgot now. We had oh, Reverend Kamora, who was the uh, yeah. gentleman, and uh, he's kind of the, in many ways, he's the heart of the book. He's kind of the, the person who found the diamond, and he's the one who really, uh, for his own reasons, uh, which will be revealed, really wants to kind of use the diamond uh, to the betterment of uh, his people. And, uh, you know, again, it's, it's um, one of the things that's very interesting is that you, you know, and, you know, to some extent the book does this also, is that, you know, people have, have good intentions, they have great intentions, right? People want to go into, especially people who, who, you know, go become activists, become NGOs, you know, people, they, these people, I believe, in, in most cases at least, genuinely want to help. But, you know, there's always politics. There's always egos. There's always, you know, and people are fallible, right? And I think sometimes you get in there and you see a desperately poor country and you want to help everybody and you end up, you know, you know, you sometimes, uh, I've certainly seen situations where people have caused more harm than good. And there was, there was one story, at least, when with Sierra Leone, after the war in Sierra Leone, like so many aid workers, got in there, right, that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they all wanted to eat, right? So the price of rice went up dramatically, right? So that the, so by all these people coming in there, the, the average person couldn't necessarily eat. So, um, you know, again, those, those were perfectly good intentions. Nobody intended to do anything wrong, but sometimes that's, you know, people, you know, good intentions don't necessarily produce, unfortunately, good results. I mean, we, we know that all the time in our regular lives. So, um, you you know, you in the end, you know, your intentions are important, but it's also important to be thoughtful and to, to uh, brainstorm possible outcomes. And, you know, I mean, I think these are uh, the things that people on the field really struggle with because you go there and you're an alien and you're a different, you know, you're dealing with very different uh, uh, culture and a different way of life, and people who, whose background is, is very uh, different than yours. This is what I'm talking about these are people who from NGOs. And even people, you know, even people, if you're, even if you're a poor person growing up in the United States, it's, it's you know, it's not, mm-hmm. you're, the, the poverty you see there is, is so, so much worse. So um, you, you can, um, so in a way, it's just like how do you transmit those good intentions into <laughs> Action. I think that's something all the characters in the book struggle with. So my next question is: This was an odd. This was an odd kind of thing. 
Mimi goes to the, and she won't leave until she connects with five people. Yes. Why yes. five people? That was interesting. These five will impact events. So yes. And then we meet. She gets roped into one of the five people decides that she needs her to figure out what happened. So yes. explain, you know, Father, what happens? Why does Mimi get involved with this investigation? Um, well, she gets investigated. You know, it's kind of a, a familiar way. Uh, most murder or mystery work yeah. is that there is a, there is a murder. Um, but uh, and somebody she knows and she wants to start looking at it. Um, Mm-hmm. As far as, you know, the five people, um, uh, you know, that was actually something, you know, I think a lot of these characters uh, have elements of me in them. Uh, I would say just about every character has a lot, has an element of me in them. Uh, and, you know, I mean, obviously, even though uh, uh, she, she, you know, she's female, you know, obviously Mimi has a lot of elements of me in her. And I remember actually one of the first things I did when I started, um, uh, you know, trying to sell my books and, you know, get an agent and get a publisher. One of the first things I did is I went to this uh, kind of uh, author's convention in New York City. And uh, I decided, you know, I knew nobody, right? You get there and it's very awkward, right? It's very, it's, it's, it's weird. So I said, okay, mm. gave myself a drink. I said, okay, I'm not going to leave until I speak with five people, right? So um, I just kind of went up to people, and that was kind of like, you know, it, it's awkward in retrospect, but I was kind of like, hey, how are you? You know, I said I was going to meet five people, so, you know, you're one of them. And I ended up meeting a lot of very nice people. And, you know, I think, you know, this doesn't happen to Mimi in the book, but uh, one of the things that um, happens is that once you're kind of in the groove, you, once you're starting meeting people, you kind of kind of get that rhythm and you kind of keep going, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, I ended up speaking, I think, like to 20 people at the end of the day. But it was kind of like a nice thing. It's like, okay, I'm not leaving this party until I meet five new people. And you don't have to have a long chat with them. Uh, you don't have to kind of be their best friend. You don't have to get all their contact information. But you do have to meet five new people, and it was uh, it was kind of a nice challenge, and it, it kind of worked out well. Uh, I mean, I don't know if it really helped my career, but it was it, was, uh, it certainly made the party better, but um, uh, it was a nice thing to do, and I think, you know, in this case, obviously, uh, everyone she meets um, turns out to be important. I don't think that's obviously common, but, um, you know, this is, uh, I, I just thought it was uh, uh a fun way to kind of, uh, you know, you know, she, because again, I think she's been at the situation, which we've all been in where you're at a cocktail party and you're going for work and you're trying to network and you don't know anybody. So, you know, she kind of makes it into a little game with herself. So how does she proceed and why does she focus on Novak and what is, what companies are involved in this? Well, I mean, it's all very uh, fictional. I mean, I think Novak is kind of the the, the kind of um, big juicy uh, target, um, and and uh, that uh, NGOs tend to tend to go after. In that, he's very wealthy and he's made a lot of money in Africa, and he has kind of a dubious background, and he has a lot of offshore 
uh, accounts. I mean, again, uh, I would say, uh, you know, again, while this is a book meant for entertainment, I do think there is uh, perhaps an educational aspect to it. And one of the things I wanted to talk a lot about is this idea, and it's still, you know, a big problem of offshore accounts. People, you know, you look at companies and they try to hide their beneficial ownership uh, in the British Virgin Islands and, and places like that, in Cayman Islands and, and things like that. Uh, you know, and then people do that to uh, shield their assets uh, for tax reasons, uh, for legal reasons. And, you know, uh, this is like a big problem. And there's one instance in the book where Mimi is trying to figure out, trying to trace one of these companies to uh, the person you mentioned, Novak, and she goes through this whole process where she looks, she looks, and she looks after company after company, trying to trace mm. one company back to its owner. And that's something I haven't done it to the um, extent that she has uh, in the book, or I should say I haven't been as successful, but I've definitely had some success kind of tracing companies back to each other. And again, you get to this these situations where it's shell company after shell company after shell company, and it's frustrating. But um, we, uh, it was, again, uh, that's, you know, to me, this is like something that's, that's a real problem, this idea of offshore financing that the world's wealthy. And, you know, it's something that's, that we're, that's being looked at, again, in the context of, the, you know, this Russian war in Ukraine, where so many of these oligarchs hide their money and you have no idea how much money they have, and it's in places like Dubai and uh, mm. offshore and all these shell accounts. And it's, it's, it, it breeds corruption, and it's, uh, it's a real problem because you have, there's no transparency as far as, you know, how these people operate. And, you know, you know sometimes these people have deals with the government and things like that. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's really robbing the people because they can't get a sense of, you know, where their money is going because it's going to these companies mm. that have all these offshore accounts. And, you know, it's not, it's uh, obviously not just diamonds, though a lot of diamonds have offshore accounts, you know, and it, it's something that uh, periodically, you know, one of the, there's one of these big leaks, it was just the Pandora papers and the, Paradise Papers and all these things. Panama Papers obviously was the first big one. And it shows just how much of the world's wealthy are able to shield their assets. And, you know, I pay taxes. I assume you pay taxes. You know, but so many of the, the, the people who have the most don't pay taxes. You know, because they shield their money. Right? And it's just not fair. Why should I? You know, why should people like us be propping up the government when people who are wealthy don't? And, um... That's, uh, you know, so, you know, again, a lot of these oblique uh, financial structures are, are something that uh, we touch upon a little bit in the book is, you know, how people can hide their money. And there was, there's been a lot of great books on this. There's uh, Secrecy World and there's uh, Moneyland. So, I mean, I think this is something that's a, that's a big problem. And, uh, you know, again, if my book, you know, I don't think it's going to raise much awareness about anything, but... You know, if, if my book, you know, does get people interested in that topic, I think it'll, I'll be happy about that because, you know, it's, it's something that's such a, a huge issue. And I think, you know, even though it's gotten plenty of publicity, it's not as important. But, you know, so many of the ills, 
you know, including this war in Ukraine, you know, if we didn't have these kind of financial structures, you know, and we mm. might not have some of these problems, right? Because, you know, you look at the constant, uh, you know, the, the, the kind of stratification between rich and poor, um, you know, the fact that elites in, you know, every country are kind of taking over, and, you know, this is not uh, good. So, um, uh, so that was one of the things I wanted to talk about. So, you know, he's kind of one of these guys who has a million shell companies, and, you know, I've certainly heard of people who have, like, hundreds, hundreds of shell companies, um, and, you know, it's all to kind of confuse people, and you try to, to, to track the money, and it's just, you know, deliberately designed to confuse people. I'm sure they have trouble keeping track of it themselves. You know, like, is this one connected to this one connected to this one connected to this one? So um, that's kind of the, one of the things I wanted to look at. And again, and again, the character in the book, and let me just say, even though I, uh, I hope I, I'm making this clear, the book is meant to be entertaining. It's meant to be funny. Uh, I hope it achieves that. It's a, it's a classic murder mystery with, uh, with, with what I consider likable, interesting characters. So um, uh, the idea is that uh, I wanted to write one of those, but also wanted to uh, talk about some of the things that, I deal with in the industry and I find interesting in the industry and I believe are kind of ripe for reform uh, in the industry. Well, I have to tell you, my grandmother was original. She came from Poland. My grandfather brought her back on the Polish underground and my grandmother didn't trust financial institutions at all. And nobody knew that until she died. She used to walk Mm -hmm. around with a red case, huge red case. And I had a funny feeling, and she used to hide it under her bed. Even when she went to the butcher, she bought the red case. When my grandmother died, they found quite a bit of money in the red case. My grandfather didn't know it was there either. He would give her Mm -hmm. money to take care of everything. I think there must have been $100,000 in money money in that that case. Yeah, And she wrote a note in it. She couldn't write. She just wrote Ruthie, which is my mother, which meant that she should give all the money to my mother, but knowing me and my mother, she split it with her brothers and sisters. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that was just so cool. I said, you know, that's not a bad idea, Grandma. So, mm-hmm. well, you know, that's Mimi not, arrived, you know, right, right. not unusual, right? Right. <laughs> right. No, I mean, uh, you, uh, you, you want to finish your story? I'm sorry. So how does Mimi arrive at Rosenberg's office, and who's Rafi? And what's his, mm-hmm. what's his deal? Who's Rafi? I have a okay. few more um, questions. Oh no, no! I, I just wanted you to to finish your story about your your mother. I mean, you know, hiding cash, mm-hmm. you know, because you don't want to put it in the uh, bank. You know, that's mm-hmm. a little different than um, than you know putting it under the bed. You know, than than hiding millions in offshore accounts that she did to to avoid uh, taxes. Uh, I mean, you know, this is. Uh, you know, you know, a lot of these schemes are kind of classic money laundering as far as, you know, that they, they get money that are, that are bribes or off the books or, or things like that, and then they try to make it look real by uh, putting it through these kind of financial instruments. Um, uh, who, is, uh, who is Rafi, right? Uh, Rafi is both mm-hmm. her son, and he's kind of a, a, a religious uh, guy who kind of gets very involved in the whole cause of uh of this diamond and um 
you know, he's kind of a fun character to write because he's, you know, and I, I think a lot of the characters in the book are like this. Uh, they're part of the uh, religious Jewish community, but they're also kind of uh, secular and they're kind of, ex- you know, exploring the secular world. And at the same time, people who come in contact with them are kind of learning about their community and their customs. So it's kind of about the tension between those two worlds, you know, how they kind of coexist or try to coexist and the kind of give and take uh, between them. So, um, you know, uh, but I like the story about your, your grandmother hiding, hiding money under the, under the bed. I thought that was, I thought that was uh, very interesting. You know, a lot of people, my mother actually, again, the main character, her mother's name was, was uh, Mimi, and she came from Antwerp and uh, Belgium, and she left uh, before the Second World War, um, and, which they were very fortunate. I guess my grandfather never uh, was, was actually um, uh, was uh, much more scared of Hitler than perhaps some other members of his family, and I think that was, you know, in retrospect, uh, very, uh, you know, uh, very, um, let's see, he thought ahead, you know, and I think that was very good, and they were refugees, and, you know, they could have been killed. I mean, I don't think it was mm. easy uh, in particular. But, um, yeah, I don't, you know, I think, actually, I think my grandmother used to have, like, money stuffed all over the place, <laughs> too, and uh, of her apartment, you know, and it's just kind of like the old uh, way of doing things. Um, let me uh, just say that, you know, that is, uh, you know, you're, this is not necessarily what I'm talking about, you know, as far as offshore financing and stuff like that. This is, I mean, you're talking about millions and you're talking about uh, money laundering and deliberate violations of the law, and I don't think, you know, I mean, you know, there is no law you have to put your cash in the bank. So uh, the only law is that you have to declare your income on your taxes. So. Well, she just used it as her bank. What can I say? So talk yeah, about Anna. And a, Anna came, how does she come into time. play? And um, mm-hmm. what is what about poor Yosef? Oh, uh, she felt so bad about him. I don't know why, yes, but she did. Yes. Yosef was from the first book. Uh, yep. You know, I, I won't talk a little, lot about him. Uh, Hana is uh, Mimi's, um, you know, and this is another interesting aspect of the book. She's uh, Hana is very religious and in a lot of ways kind of sheltered, right? Um, mm-hmm. And um, uh, But um, she has a very good heart, and in a lot of ways sometimes she's wiser than a lot of the people who are surrounding her. And, you know, I think one of the things that either people like or they – or sometimes I hear objections to in the book is that all the characters are, are very much uh, flawed. You know, even Mimi, who's the hero, makes, you know, makes mistakes and puts her foot in it a lot. And um, I, you know, people sometimes, you know, especially when I, uh, when I was writing the book um, and I would show it to my writing group, uh, they would uh, get mad at Mimi and get upset with Mimi. And, you know, again, which is funny because I find her annoying, um, which, again, is funny because, again, I think she has a lot of qualities of me in there. So when people say, well, you know, that is so stupid. How, why, why did she do that? I, I take it very personally because it's like, 
well, that's something I might do, you know? And it's like, people are like, well, she shouldn't be making mistakes. Well, you know, I've been doing my job for, for 30 years, and I make mistakes, you know, as far as how I approach people. And, you know, you, you, you make mistakes. People make mistakes, you know, even after 30 years, right? People make mm-hmm. mistakes all the time. So um, to me, that's not realistic, but I know it's something people have objected to. But to me, it was very important to make all the characters um, as three-dimensional as possible, and people can tell me if I succeeded in that or not, and to make them people with real kind of insecurities and, you know, real uh, strengths and, you know, they're, they're clever, but they're also, they screw up a lot and they lose their temper and they act rashly mm-hmm. and they, um, you know, do stupid things. And I think that's how people are like. That's certainly how people in my life are like. And sometimes they can be a little selfish and sometimes they can be obviously selfless and that's just how people are and you know people have their uh own sometimes tunnel vision of the world and that uh, you see that sometimes with the reverend and you see that with some of the other characters that people just get so hung up on their own vision of the world that they don't necessarily see that the, the ground has shifted a little bit so um the idea is to kind of put a three-dimensional portrait. And, you know, Hana is a character that I think a lot of the readers really like and enjoy because she is so sweet-natured mm-hmm. and she has a good sense of humor. And um, she's been through some tough times, but she has a certain resilience and she has a certain uh, heart. And, you know, she's a religious person. And, you know, people who are truly, I feel, religious are very gentle and very nice. I mean, that's just, that is what religion should be, right? You know, if you really believe in, you know, uh, religion and God, and that we're all God's creatures, that really should involve uh, being as good to people as you possibly can. So I think Khan is one of those people who are, is, does go out of her way to be gentle and nice and good to people. And, you know, sometimes that makes her a bit of a pushover, but I think in the end, uh, she she shows herself to, you know, have a lot more uh, backbone than, than a lot of people. So, um, you know, at this point, she, uh, at this point in the book, she's uh, getting over the uh, end of her first engagement, and uh, she uh, tends to, uh, she's looking to one of the other characters, uh, you know, to to get involved with, and, you know, it's, it's, it's a process of, you know, how after, you know, somebody's kind of uh, suffered a, a traumatizing loss, like how do they kind of uh, get back from that, and how does that work? And, you know, I think it's, it's very difficult for her, um, and uh, that's, some, again, one of the things we'll explore in the book, you know, it's a... It's a at times it's done in a, in a, in a comical way, but, you know, it's, it's obviously very serious that this is somebody that, um, you know, I think a lot of the readers have, uh, especially for my first book, they, 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 they really cared about her and they cared about what, what she went through and they want to see her uh, kind of do well. And, you know, it's not, you know, she's a good person, 
uh, just like, you know, most of the characters in the book are, are good people, but it's hard. You know, life does not necessarily make it easy for good people, right? And just because you're a good person uh, doesn't mean you'll always get good results. So um, it's it's tough. So that's, again, uh, one of the things that, that we look at in the book. And uh, I think people will enjoy where her character ends up by the end of the book. And uh, the third book kind of takes off from there, and there's a whole new set of complications. So... Um, again, uh, you know, if you uh, if you've read the first book, and, and one of the things I should say is that this book stands alone as its own thing. But if you read my first mm-hmm. book, which is called The Murderous Forever, um, I think you'll kind of enjoy seeing uh, how she kind of uh, kind of matures in a way in this book. Uh, she takes kind of an interesting path. Well, before I forget. MJ Network is going to take a break in July. We start back on August 2nd with Finding the Light in the Lost Year, Not Without Sin, and a whole bunch more. But I am highly honored. On August 25th, the one and only Iris Johansson is coming on for a double interview. To fa- uh, to the face to die for and captive, which she has to send me. She wants both books in the same interview, and don't worry, I got this. And I am on. A, I usually don't announce this, but I will. What, why not? I'm excited. July 18th. If I hope I could stay up till nine o'clock. I hope so. <laughs> um, I, I I have been asked to be on. This is very good. She's amazing. Dr. Maxine Thompson is one of the top publishers. Uh, produces, she's got everything, and she's invited me on Authors First on um, July 18th at 9 o'clock to talk about my YA book, Sisters, Two Sisters from the Bronx, in memory of my sister, their true stories, and boy, did we get into trouble. We had so much fun. So Maxine is going to talk about that that day, and I was asked possibly again on books and entertainment in um, September or October, and this is the first because I don't get a lot of interviews. I do all of them. So let me see. I have a whole bunch of questions, but we can't get to all of them. So tell us about briefly about Detective Matthews and the fact that he really wishes that Mimi would disappear very quickly. Yes. So he's kind of, yes, he's kind of the old school. uh, I mean, one of the things that that I thought was kind of, uh, kind of evolved when I, when I wrote this book is that, you know, um, the kind of familiar trope is that, uh, you know, somebody becomes kind of a, uh, you know, the main heroine in the novel becomes an amateur detective. But in real life, if somebody was an amateur detective, you would, you know, the police would be like, what what the hell are you doing? Like, like stay out of this, you know. So in many ways, I think he's kind of the reality check He's the um, kind of hard bitten, I should say, and uh, kind of a little cynical uh, detective who's been doing it for for decades. Who, you know, is a little annoyed that that Mimi's getting herself involved, and uh, you know, kind of uh, uh, making all these mistakes. And he's trying to do a serious investigation and buy the books investigation, and Mimi does things in her own way, which involves breaking the rules and, you know, uh, doing all sorts of weird uh, 
kind of funny things and you know, but she's also I should say she's also extremely, extremely clever and smart and certainly when the chips are down she knows how to think fast. Um so uh she you know, there there's a lot of tension between the two of them and I also hope, you know, you know, he's also a character that was in the first book. Again, you don't have to read the first book to enjoy the second book, I hope. Um, but uh, I think uh, readers are also going to enjoy where their relationship ends up by the end of the book. So um, uh, can I ask you a quick question or no? I'm listening. I'll try to answer it. Okay. I'm getting good at this. How many, how many books do you read? You must read a ton of books a year. How many books do I read in a year? Yeah, okay. I have somebody to I have somebody to blame for that. Um okay. growing up with my mother, which was torture, when you read my book, um I took piano lessons, Hebrew lessons, mm-hmm. I loved the Hebrew lessons, and I took mm-hmm. violin and I hated dancing. I'm mm-hmm. hundred and seven pounds but I was like hundred and ninety million pounds and I hated dancing. And she said that besides that I had to read ten books a week. I'm serious. And, including and homework. Wow. Yeah, I, I'm a speed reader. So, and I take wow. notes on them. So, in order mm-hmm. to read all of these books, I would say between January and now in June, I read probably about 200. It's just, it's just, oh, my it's God. So, book. I read about like 25. I mean, because you know, I'm busy writing and stuff like that, but uh, in my work, and but I have a son. But uh, I read about 25 books a year. That's a lot. You know, it's, I find it a lot. Um, but uh, 200 is amazing. I really, you know, I, I think it's good that you have the skill of uh, speed reading. Um, but uh, that's that's wild. I mean, I really give you credit for that. That's, that's crazy. I have no choice. because You see, partners in crime keeps me extremely busy. So yes, between exactly. January and now in June, I had like about 40 or 50 interviews, but that doesn't mm-hmm. me- include Philip Margolin that was in on Donald Don Bentley and John Land and a whole bunch more people <laughs> and Robert Dagoni and all the other authors that I have to fit in my schedule. And my schedule yeah. now, people, is done until the end of November. I got nothing until mm-hmm. December, wow. people. And I scheduled mm-hmm. one for January and David Putnam, who's really big with his Bruno Johnson series, for um, February. And what I try to do, like I did with yours, is I when I get the books for um, an, an interview, even if the interview, if I get the book in January and the interview is not till April, I'm going to read it just so I get it done. So that my interviews mm-hmm. are done. Because I know, oh, I never know. I got three books yesterday and I go like, who sent them? I don't know. And then another one that they, and the author used a different name, and I go like, I don't know who sent that. If I don't know who sent mm-hmm. it, if it's just by you know because they want me to read it, then I could take my time. Except mm-hmm. of course, if I like the the title does me you know looks at me and say, how could you do that? I mean, mm-hmm. uh, Matt Coyle's book Doomed Legacy is coming out in November. I read it yesterday. Wow. Um, I read three. I read three yesterday. It was a slow day, <laughs> but yeah, she Jeez, she insisted oh my God. and. And she was my mother was tough. Everything had to be perfect, and yeah, it was that's a whole other mess. And she always mm-hmm. made me read ten books a week. She didn't do it to my sister. She did it to me. I'm not my brother either. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. My old sister always said mm-hmm. I was, belonged to a different family, and I said well, that's probably why I'm smarter than all of you. But 
you have you know, the good part is, is that after I read read your book, and I said, let me keep the book in front of me to do the review. I had it memorized. It's fine. Mm-hmm. So before before we end, we have a few minutes. How does Mimi put it all together? And I don't want to say what happens at the end to one of the characters, but there was a bunch mm-hmm. of boxer tissues. So how mm-hmm. does she put it all together? And what happens um, at, the, at the diamond auction at the end? Do they find it or do yeah. they keep it or what happens? Well, I don't want to say that, but... Uh, don't say that. Don't I tell anybody say, what happens. But how does she figure it out? I don't want to tell the end of the movie. I don't want to tell the end no, of the movie. No, you can't. But I think uh, the end of the movie, Scott, the end of the book. Um, no. But uh, he figures it out. You know, sheer kind of the classic uh, mystery. You know, she takes all the mm-hmm. clues that are all available and it's... You know, I go out of my way to be, you know, what they call play fair, that, you know, I play fair with the audience. Uh, you know, people should, uh, you know, all the clues are there. People should hopefully be able to, to guess who uh, who the killer is. And she uh, certainly does, even though, you know, it's different, you know, when you look at these things and remove, at a remove, it's different because she has very personal relationships mm-hmm. with all these people. So, um uh, but yes, she does put it together based on sheer instinct and brain power. And I think, you know, what uh, I believe one of her strengths as a character is that she is somebody who people can relate to and can relate to other people. And you, you know, you mentioned reading books so fast, which you know I don't think mm-hmm. I think what what you do is amazing and your your skills are amazing. Um, but uh, you know, when I look on Kindle, you know, they say reading speed. And they say most people finish the book in four hours or five hours. And that's really, to me, that's great because I want this to be a very quick read. And, you know, certainly uh, one of the things I've hear, heard with my books is people like, oh, I finished it in a day. I finished it in a couple hours. Um, and these are people not like you without your uh, amazing skills. And uh, people can, can, it's a very, uh, again, even though it deals with some serious topics and serious issues, Mm. Uh, it's meant to be a lot of fun and for people to enjoy it. And uh, I, I'd really be, love to get, you know, feedback for people who don't know the diamond industry, who are coming kind of, uh, or who only have a kind of glancing uh, familiarity mm. with, with these issues or are coming new to them and to kind of get what they, uh, to understand what they got out of it. Because again, you know, we are dealing with some of the more, I would say, complex mm-hmm. issues in the world. Like, what's more complex than poverty, right? And what has been mm-hmm. more of a problem that we can't solve than poverty, right? So uh, these are, and, you know, there are, you know, people who have listed themselves off from poverty, but, you know, it can be a lot of intractable and certainly, you know, in this uh, environment, uh, put you at a severe disadvantage, uh, so, um, how, you know, that's, that's one of the things to look at. So I'm, I'm, again, I really hope people are, are entertained by it. And if I, they haven't been entertained and it's not a quick read, I, I feel I haven't done my job. I do feel it is entertaining. I do feel it's extremely, uh, quick read. And, um, I hope, uh, people get something out of it because I, I, you know, that was, that's the whole point. And, you know, these are issues that I feel very strongly about, very passionate about, uh, I've seen uh, how diamonds can uplift communities. I've seen how diamonds can hurt communities. And uh, mm-hmm. the idea is to make sure to, to 
to keep pushing the industry forward, and it's a tough process, but it's something that I think uh, I believe in. I think a lot of uh, people in the trade press are, are very interested in it, a lot of NGOs, and even a lot of people in the industry really understand the need that in the 20th century, it can't, everything can't be just about money and exploitation. You really have to kind of help mm. people on the ground and, and be transparent also. I should, I should mention that, that, you know, people are looking at your brand under a microscope, and you have to do the best you can. Well, this book has got hands out. I have to tell everybody, um, if, I, in the last two weeks, three weeks, I have about 35 books in the bag there behind me that I read, and the goes your book is going to go in the pile with that with that with those books because you see my dermatologist wife wants them all. Them. <laughs> all it's, right. it's required that Dr. M said if you want to come, this is hilarious. He called me. He said you can't come without at least ten books. I go well, don't worry, I'll get you about wow. fifty by the time I get there. Yeah. <laughs> so yours is going in because she's very interested in that kind of thing. But before before okay, we good. end, tell everybody. Um, where we could get your book, and when is the next one coming out? Uh, so uh, my website is robbatesauthor.com. Uh, obviously, uh, the book is called Murder's Girl's Best Friend. It's number two in the series. The first was called Murder's Forever. Um, you can see all the links at robbatesauthor.com, but obviously it's on Amazon. Uh, it's always great uh, if people... Speaking of helping little people and uh, helping the mm-hmm. underdog, if people buy it in independent bookstores, because it's extremely important that we want to keep those places in business. So I mm-hmm. love that people would go in there and have them order it and uh, give some of the proceeds to your local community. Um, and But Amazon is great, too, and you'll get it the next day. And I don't want to say anything, uh, you know, that's uh, certainly a fine place to buy it and uh, that's where I buy a lot of my books. Um, and it's available in ebook and paperback. And uh, I think, yeah, uh, I'm just uh, looking forward to hearing people's impressions and talking with people. And uh, I think it's a lot of fun. And the third book, oh, yes, you asked me about the third book. Uh, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm writing it uh, even as we speak. Uh, hopefully I'm going to get it done soon. And I'll probably come out next year, hopefully, you know, with uh, – it's a it's a laborious process, you know, just getting everything mm-hmm. right and, and really thinking about it, especially a murder mystery, which is so dependent mm-hmm. on uh, both its plot and its, its characters. But So it's a laborious process. It takes a lot of work. It's cost me a bit of sleep, I guess. But um, I have, uh, I'm, I'm very proud of the, the first two books, and uh, I'm hoping to get to the point where I'll be proud of the, of the third one. Uh, it's, okay, it's, so everyone... It's tough. Everyone, it's a beautiful it's day outside. Rob, thank you yes. very, very much. I think I might keep this one because, you know what, diamonds are my very favorite best friend. Murder's not, there but diamonds, go. yeah. Everybody mm-hmm. have a great day. Stay safe, and bye. Bye. Take care.